let the baby burn, grab the Picasso, and then sell it. Please, Monroe. Please, Monroe. Please, Monroe. Welcome to the first episode of Calling Monroe that's recorded partially here in Denmark, a land obviously named after Mark Hoppus of Blink-182. I'm joined here in Scandinavia, no, in the Nordic countries by my fun little friend to my far, far, far left or something, Gucci Mane. Gun, how are you feeling? Mm, I'm, I'm fine. Do you miss me? No. Oh. I'm far away, though. Yeah. I don't feel any difference. Why? COVID. Yeah, true. We're all fucking quarantinos. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, so this this podcast now is tri-national, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. We've gone global. Mm-hmm. And to celebrate being worldwide, should we call Pitbull instead of Monroe? Yeah. Okay, let's try to call Pitbull. What's up, folks? What we did you do something oh, wrong, Ragnar? Hey Monroe, no, just just play along, just play along. Hey Monroe, how are you feeling? Oh, how, how, how <laughs> Good, doing? what's going on? <laughs> uh, do you know where I am? Do I sound any different? Uh, I feel like before I was getting like you know Western vibes. Now I'm feeling like you're a bit east of me. Yeah, yeah, you you feel correctly. The wind nice. is blowing in that direction now. I successfully moved to Denmark with dog with Tibrau. Yeah, yeah, well smashed done. it. Well and done. talking of names of cute things, Kyle's baby's called Jacob. Okay, <laughs> that's biblical. I like that. Yeah, that's not a baby name. <laughs> Fortunately, <laughs> Jacob will grow up to be an adult, so that's all right. Okay. Oh, you mean it's not a baby name because it sounds like an adult person? Yes. I guess mm-hmm. all names have to be. I mean, you, I wouldn't want a baby name by that. You don't want to be called Tootsie Wootsie, do you? <laughs> I people do this though sometimes, right? Though where they'll like name their their children something super cute, uh, forgetting right? that it's going to be ugly. Thing? I feel like, yeah. Well, I don't know. Like, do you like think it sounds good as like a baby thing? name. Okay, it's it's only bad if if they turn out ugly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know how to feel about names. If I'm quite honest, like if I think forward into the future about having a baby. Naming this baby seems like the hardest thing in the whole entire universe because, like most names that I know, I already like associate with another human. If I name someone fucking George, then I'm gonna think of the dude that was in at university with me, etc. Like, there's every name is occupied mm. by another human. I I heard him talk about this this Mitchell David Mitchell. You know him? Oh yeah, David mm-hmm. Mitchell. Yeah. yeah, with his was this one of his yeah. soapbox rants? Yeah, and he was talking about baby names, mm. and he was saying that that you can get used to any name. For example, like Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, sort of live this right because I've lived abroad most of my life, and my name isn't like a, a standard Ragnar. Ragnar, yeah, in like Ragnar? Scotland or wherever the fuck. But people get used to it very quickly. 
and it just becomes like a name. So yeah, I can see people just getting used to like Karlingkamp. At least like every Icelandic character in foreign movies, their name is Agnar. Mm. This actually, this has changed my life. Uh, that show Vikings. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, it happened to me recently. It happens to me all the time now. So back in the day when I, when I used to say what my name was, I'd say Ragnar or Ragnar or something, and people would be like, "What?" And I had to repeat myself. And now I say my name, and people go, "Oh, like in Vikings." <laughs> so it's yeah. I think with baby names, good. you should just have a name that meets a certain threshold. Stick it in a hat and just pick one out. Done. That's a, that's a really? solid. A solid. Yeah, but what's the threshold? Well, the threshold is just like, oh yeah, that's a nice name. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a nice name. In the hat. In the but hat. But I feel like in the hat. It's Done. such a big, big. Decision. But it's not. It's really not. You're like, who cares what their name is? If you name, if you like, oh, this is a nice name, and then it's like, wait, isn't that the name of your ex girlfriend or something? Like that's a world of pain. Who cares? Or if you. <laughs> I mean, name is just There's what two... it fits to that person. I mean, this it is a point that I made a week or person. two ago or something where where Icelandic people uh, we get longer to decide on the name, and I think it could be good. Mm, yeah, but I, don't know. I was named after my grandfather uh, because who died when my mom was young. Because apparently, as soon as I was born, everyone just was like, "He looks exactly like him. This must be his name." Mm-hmm. So that's kind of good, mm-hmm. I guess. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there names that are that are forbidden? You think like out of like uh, just names that have been retired, uh, like Adolf, right? yeah, S- Satan, Satan, yeah, or Judas, or fucking. Uh, there's a couple though. Like Damien is a name, but Damien I think is the devil or the devil's son or something. Is it? Yeah, people are just called Damien. Yeah, I think, I think so. It's just misspelled diamond. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Damien, sure. Damien, Damien. Oh, never mind. It says, a powerful man of the people. There we go. I mean, the devil in many ways is a man of the people. He gives you lots of bad things, which are probably fun. So Damien is basically Comrade. Is Comrade a name, though? uh, No. See, uh, how did the name Damien become associated with the devil? Here we go. I'm going to read about this. Apparently, it's a name of Greek origins. That means tame or peaceful. Oh, it only apparently it got its evil association from the 1976 film, probably The Omen, I guess, because I think that kid was called uh, Damien. Mm. So never mind. I guess Hollywood fucked that up, just like red clothed Santa. I think it's to some extent it sounds like demon. Yeah, Damien. yeah, mm. exactly. There we go. There we go. That's true. Solve that one, boys. I watched a uh, Netflix documentary about something both beautiful and ugly this week called was it orgasmic births (laughs) (laughs) go on go on (laughs) Uh, called my octopus the teacher which uh my friend and fan of the show leo recommended Uh, all right and it's all about this South Af- I was away to say South African in a, in a South African accent, and then I was not sure what was going to come up, so I <laughs> decided not to. Um, my South African? No, no, no. Good. Let's not do that. Um, <laughs> uh, it's uh, about a South African filmmaker who decides to uh, go free diving in the sea next to his house every day, and then makes a pal that is an octopus, and then it's all about this octopus and being a badass and their relationship and the octopus is sh- like cool 
So it only lives a mm. year, but I mean, what? the way it cha- I know, I know, but it can change color, it can change texture, it can fit through stuff that a cat couldn't fit through. Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah. But this is the cringiest thing I've seen. I, I watched half of it. It's so Sorry? cringy. It's so cringy. What, the film? Yeah. It is quite sort of deep and meaningful, yeah. Uh, Wait, is it is it uh, is it fiction or is it nonfiction? Nonfiction. Nonfiction. Oh. He talks like spiritual, spiritually about this. Bit. Well, the guy's basically gone through a tough time in his life and hasn't bit kind of says in the film that he's not been able to be a great dad because of whatever he's going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. this daily ritual of going out and engaging with the octopus and becoming friends with the octopus kind of gives him. Uh, grounds him and manages to get his life back on track. Well, okay. fair enough. Yeah. Uh, just a quick rewind: being able to fit through stuff—that's <laughs> a good skill. That's an underappreciated. It skill, is an underappreciated <laughs> skill. <laughs> that's a skill that I would like. I would pay good money for that skill. Like, like yeah. see those like deep sea cave d- divers. Yeah, mm-hmm. cave divers. I, they like they tr- they like they decide to go through a tiny hole. They do not oh. know what's on the other side. That's that sort of shit is like a nightmare to me. That yeah. and like when these cave cave people go through these like tiny little things. Ugh. I was more thinking like when you're in a room full of people and you don't manage to read the room and you make a joke that was obviously a step too far and everyone just stares at you. You could just like mm. fit through the gap in the back of the chair into nothingness yeah. and just slide away. And just well, that's so much more <laughs> like far-fetched from what I said. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking like slipping through a keyhole or something as well. Just like, oh, uh, yeah, I was more thinking uh, about, about that. Talking about uh, octopuses, the octopuses are fucking crazy. Is it octopi? Yeah. I didn't know that they lived. No, so I, I debated this in my head before before saying this and I googled it and it's octopuses <laughs> um, so Wikipedia has a, an article on cephalopod intelligence so cephalopods are like the the class that octopuses are in um, and they have like they're remarkably intelligent and if I remember correctly my friend Joey was talking about this he read a book I'm going to try to find out by next time what the book is called uh, about specifically about octopus intelligence and apparently they're whole like nervous system and brain and intelligence evolved independently of mammalian and like human intelligence mm. so independently just, or dependently independently so like we we have like a common ancestor way way back that didn't have this and we uh, evolved it and then they evolved it like completely separately it's like a parallel parallel and they can regrow their regrow their limbs it's kind of like you know, you know that scene in Deadpool when he gets his hand cut off and he, and he has a tiny no. hand for a while mm-hmm. oh you should watch Deadpool anyway he gets his hand cut off and then he ends up with just a tiny baby hand for a while um, until eventually mm. he regrows that's what it's like so at one point uh, Shark has a little nibble and then he just grows a new one have you nice. have you seen Deadpool 2 yes Ragnar <laughs> no I'm, I saw oh, Deadpool okay. 1 and I thought it was okay. bad no oh you have to watch Deadpool 2 it's the best oh ending. this is such a classic Ragnar opinion something popular that's objectively funny so you're just like oh no actually I don't find it funny guys no but <laughs> it isn't it isn't it's so try hard it's he like it's so try hard it's still funny mm, it's no good. it's it tries too hard to be funny it's like look at me I'm so funny then you're not funny anymore like it, the the one joke in Deadpool is that like he knows that he's a shitty action hero. Like I get it, I got it from the fucking poster. 
you sound like you're 30 years older than you are. No, like you you're the better, you're the hipster. Better. You're the hipster that burnt his mouth on pizza because he ate it before it was cool. You <laughs> are you are the hipster boomer. You're the millennial <laughs> boomer. <laughs> no, Deadpool just is uh, no. It's not good. It just is because no. a poster it tells you no. that it's good doesn't mean that it is good. Before we get too factual, I've got an octopus-related anecdote. Okay. Uh, so when I was younger, me and my friends would would make our birthday cards for each other, homemade birthday cards, all very wholesome and cute. Um, that is cute, yeah. And I drew an octopus, but instead of tentacles, it had eight peni as its tentacles. No. And then... Was this a Valentine's Day card? <laughs> and then I called it Coctopus. Oh, very oh, clever. Good. I was very proud of that one. And then what yeah. made it worse was that then my mate's mum found it in his pile of birthday cards. Ooh, and very that good. is one of those times that I wish I could have just like slid like an octopus back through back the chair. I have a funny story about something similar. So I was uh, starting a new job somewhere, <laughs> somewhere a number of years ago. And mm. I went up to the HR person's office uh, to sign my contract and get all that stuff. And mm. I went in and I sat down at the table and she had her child in there with her, just like, as you do. Yeah. Uh, and there was a bunch of like coloring materials, like coloring books and like papers and, and crayons and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then she left to go get something. She like printed out the contract and went to the printer or something. And then I got a chance to like look around and it was like the fucking scene from uh, Superbad where this kid, this boy, had just drawn penises all over everything, all over all the papers. <laughs> just like these like coloring books and like pages printed out that were coloring books and like torn out from books and all of them were just covered in dicks. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was looking around like, oh my God. And then she came in and saw it and was like, oh, what are you doing? And just got, like gathered up all the papers, like, sort of embarrassed and kind of just exasperated. <laughs> That oh, was fantastic. Uh, speaking of octopuses, though, they can they can solve complex problems and puzzles. They can solve uh, here uh, puzzles requiring pushing or pulling actions, and can unscrew lids of containers, open latches on boxes. Uh, they remember solutions uh, to puzzles uh, and learn to solve the same puzzle presented in different configurations. They're like legit smart. Nice. Yeah, problem solving is is that the ultimate measure of intelligence? Playing. Problem solving. What? No, I'm st- I'm I'm putting playing forward as a as a measure of intelligence. Really? Yeah, Would you I say like being you're playful. more intelligent if you can play than if you can problem solve? I don't know. I guess problem. Yeah, I don't know. Because my like my dog, for example, who's sleeping under my desk at the moment, mm. she is she's like smart and she's very playful. She can play, but she's not. I would say an octopus is probably smarter because it can problem solve. Yeah, and like. Two dogs next to each other, equally playful. Uh, one of them problem solves better than the other. I'd say that's the smarter dog. Whereas equally problem solvey, one of them plays more than the other. I wouldn't. I'd rank them equal probably. I think you're you're making some good points. An octopus nice. playing with another <laughs> similarly intelligent octopus, they will eat each other. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? Unless they're mating. Oh, which Ooh. is a rare event. But I won't say any more because it's spoilers. Go watch the show. Oh, really? What's the show called? I don't think you ever said. Did you say? My Octopus Teacher. Oh, yeah, you did. You did. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like it could either be the name of a documentary or porn. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway. A little early, <laughs> but I do have a voicemail if we want it. 
You want to dive straight into voice? We don't. We don't have like to. Fifteen minutes. Can you bring some good segue to that? Yeah, that was that was a really on a level segue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking you about before then? Octopuses, intelligence, mating. Mm, okay, porn. I got a segue. Okay. Uh, talking of um, mating, someone I'd like to mm. mate with is my friend <laughs> Ibby. Oh. Who uh, who sent us a voicemail this week? Wait, Ibby, is this a female? No, Ibrahim, male. Don't act like I should know that Ibby is Ibrahim. It sounds like a female name. Yeah, Ibby is like Abby, just with a different vowel uh, at the start. All right, fucking Icelanders. I just, I just want you to know, genuinely, I want you to know that you can't expect a man to to know that Ibby is Ibrahim. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be short for the Norwegian playwright Henrik Ibsen, for example. <laughs> it could be. It could be. <laughs> Uh, well, in this case, it's Ibrahim. All right, cool. <laughs> Should we, uh, do you want to? Do you want to go into that right away? Just dive right into a fucking voicemail. Yeah, you did send me this voicemail earlier, and it's it's uh, it's two minutes and seventeen seconds long. Yeah, so we might as well get it out of the way quickly. <laughs> <laughs> early. Yeah. So uh, everyone, strap in. Uh, make sure you're comfortable. Bumpy ride. All right, here we go. Hi, my name's Ibby. I'm a university friend of Monroe's and longtime fan of the show. Um, I wanted to leave a voice message because I was ha- having some thoughts after the episode about your your funny little friend Gudion, which I really enjoyed, um, and it was really insightful to hear to hear you talk about your experiences so frankly um, and so honestly. So I, I really enjoyed that. My thought, which may make me sound like a bit of a cunt, but I I I reckon that Monroe and Monroe and Ragnar have pretty used to sounding like cunts so i reckon i'm in i'm in good company um so what i wanted to ask was your opinions on something called effective altruism and the reason i'm thinking about this is because at the end of the episode about gudion and um muscular dystrophy uh you were talking about giving to, uh, about giving and donating money to um medical research with the specific charity being duchenne's muscular, duchenne's muscular dystrophy now i was listening to a podcast recently which I appreciate it makes me sound like a classic person that listened to one podcast and now thinks that he's an expert. But in that, they were talking about effective altruism, which is essentially trying to maximize the positive effect or the positive outcome from anything you give. So to put it simply, if I was to put a pound into a charity, which charity would give the most positive outcome? And then you should donate to that charity. The example they gave as being one of the most um, the most effective charities was uh, Malaria Nets because you can give a very small amount and get a very good outcome in terms of um, in, in terms of the effect, which is life saved in less cases of malaria, et cetera. And the, um, and the example he gave of charities that you shouldn't donate to if you want to achieve a maximum gain or net gain from your, from your donation would be to Western medical research charities or Western cancer charities. So I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts about um, how that tallies up with, well, with the previous episode and with the requests for donations, and whether or not you think that actually the idea of effective altruism is something that we should be should be striving for. Hope you don't think I'm too much of a cunt, and look forward to hearing your thoughts. Damn, damn. So, so, uh, so. this guy thinks that we're highbrow. There's a, a cool. Um, so in in the podcast it's on Intelligence Squared, and it's called Effective Altruism. Um, mm-hmm. and there's a cool thought experiment that they do to kind of prove prove the point that uh, Ibby's making in there, which is that if you're in a, you're in a burning building 
and there are two rooms and you only have time to go into one of them and get out. And in one room, there's a baby. In the other rooms, there's a Picasso. Mm -hmm. And based on effective altruism logic, you should let the baby burn, go in and grab the Picasso and then sell it and then give the millions from the Picasso to a malaria charity because then you would save many more lives of that. And it sounds dickish to start with, but then if you look at all lives equally, the only difference between the two is that you're more directly involved in one life than the other lives. But you're, uh, if you value all lives equally, then get it, picking the Picasso is the one you should do. Uh, the thing is, I, I get what he means. It's It makes sense. But the thing is, it's a little bit different what you are donating to. I, like, I understand in certain conditions this they have been getting too much. So, I mean, when the charity owns, yeah, when people give and they just buy a summer house for people to rent, it doesn't really help that much in this sense. But what the thing is with Duchen, different to many other like this, is that a lot of it goes to, to uh, developing treatments. And these treatments have actually given rise, like, so they put a lot of money in developing some new methods to treat all sorts of things. It's not only Duchenne. There have come like heart medications based on study on Duchenne. Specifically Duchenne, donating to research of Duchenne has helped a lot, not only to this condition. Also, it's like one of the most common, rare, severe disease. If less than one in some 2,500 have it, it's considered rare. Duchenne fulfills that. It's pretty syndromic. So I think it, I, I think it's different. What are you giving to? Surely that's the point that he's making, right? It's that you. It's it's about giving to the maximum instead of giving blindly. It's about giving very specifically to the things that are going to help the most, right? Yeah. And so you are making the case for the fact that Duchenne is one of these things, right? Yeah. The thing is, I get it. Mal- malaria is like it's so much going on now and. and- cheap to sort because if you give someone yeah. a bed net then you can save their life yeah unless bed nets i don't know four pounds i'm guessing but maybe even cheaper but i i get it it's it, sometimes i do not get when it's like giving making so giving socks to elderly you know donating monies to charities like that it's not maybe the best in this terms mm-hmm. i guess it depends on why i mean there are lots of reasons to give to charity like you can give to charity to develop your social status you can give to charity because it's just like socially compelled to because if your co-worker's child is running a marathon then you just like for social reasons you in politeness you just have to give them a fiver um Mm -hmm. or you can give because you know maybe you have a relative that's died of cancer so you want to feel like you're doing something Uh for for that cause that's close to home but then if you're giving uh, purely on the basis of wanting to do the most good mm-hmm. then giving to then then basically there's, so there's this group uh they've set they've set up a page uh called give well and they mm-hmm. then have done research into the most effective charities and what gives you the best bang for your buck and mm-hmm. i think like what what their research basically came out with was that uh things like malaria programs deworming programs i think they've got another one where they give out vitamin a tablets all really basic but very cheap things mm-hmm. give you loads of benefit versus you know giving to uh, disaster relief funds for instance they said that's not a very effective way to give money 
Mm-hmm. Uh, giving to cancer charities is not a very effective way to give money in terms no, of no. what you're actually doing in return. And yeah, one of the exactly. interesting things that comes from it is that, so for someone like me, so I'm a, I'm a doctor and my time, if I, if I want to do the most good I can with my time, mm-hmm. my time will be better spent working in private clinics all the time, mm-hmm. r- earning as much money as I can, and then giving that money away to a charity like a malaria charity or a or a deworming charity than it would me going out and working for MSF or one of the other NGOs in a developing country. That would not, if I'm just doing it on the basis of wanting to do the most good, then I would stay in the UK or find wherever I get paid the most and work there and then give my money away to charity. Because even in a job where you're working as something like a doctor, the value you can do is not comparable uh, to what you can do by giving the money to these charities that uh, just have very good returns. There is one thing there that private healthcare is often aimed at only helping the least sick. So you're helping people you didn't really have to do anything for. That's yeah, sure. what well, your I focus mean, is on. And then you're going to take that and distribute it to some other group. You're but, just like shifting... But you're not, you're really not because, so say, say in the UK, take me for instance, mm-hmm. for me, I uh, had to have surgery in the UK for my ankles and that was however, that will have cost the NHS however many thousands of pounds. Mm-hmm. And if the UK didn't spend that money on me, instead they gave it all to this charity that for, you know, every, every five pounds you give to them, they managed to save a life. That is a much better use of resources if all you're doing is saying all lives are equal and then but, you, but and you're trying to do the most good for the money. See, you not getting surgery on your ankles would, would make you maybe handicapped. Yes, maybe it would. Not, but m- yeah, the, but maybe um, that costs the NIS a lot of money to help you then. Sh- uh, yeah, potentially. Would, yeah, so it would have been less to give to the charity because they have to help you. And you cannot work to give money. Because you're handicapped. If you're going to take like a fully economic view on this, then uh, all lives aren't equal. Like you can't take to both sides of that. You can't say all lives are equal and then also take like a hard line uh, market, like supply side view of these things. You can't, the, those things don't line up. So no, I'm well, the, li- the, I guess the, 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 it's not, I'm not looking at hard line economics. I'm looking at hard line stance yeah, on the what, on, on the value of your human life so what you can do yeah, with it what, what you can do what with two thousand pounds fixing my feet versus what you can do with two thousand pounds giving it to an area that's underdeveloped and suffering from malaria no but, two, but see, you could then earn money 2, 000, to give money two thousand pounds fixing your feet is paid back it's like uh it's like here in scandinavia they give money to students uh, to go to university that they don't expect them to pay back it's not a loan it's just mm-hmm. a grant and that money is not the state spending. In the grand scheme of things, you're not spending money to send people to university. You're actually gaining money because you are creating uh, higher earners. And that's exactly what this uh, this ankle surgery for you is. It's mm-hmm. 2,000 pounds spent immediately, but it means that you're going to make so much more money in the future. Mm-hmm. So realistically, that uh, if you're turn- thinking just in terms of giving, then giving away the 2,000 pounds is worse. No, because mm-hmm. you're missing... Like, I'm not saying... You're giving money to earn money. I'm saying it's you're trying to save the maximum number of lives with your money. It's it's the amount that the amount of money that you're that what you can do will in terms of yeah. lives it will save, not yeah, in terms of money it will net, save. Maybe the net will save more by saving you. Yeah. 
but the, so, the, so the research of, that the, at least the research that GiveWell have done doesn't back up your opinion. The 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 research that they have done, they've said like they've looked into it and said what is the most good you can do if you if you look at all lives as equals, mm. uh, and it doesn't back up supporting these uh, it, that sort of example. That's clearly wrong. It, you can just look at it, and it's that logic is clearly faulty. Think about you just as a human. Yeah. If we spend two thousand pounds to fix your ankle, yeah. that you're going to make so much more money than if nobody fixes your ankle. And, and what am I going to do with that money? Handicapped. I don't like. What am I going to do with you that can, money? No, but the the obvious answer is to fix you, and then you give away more than two thousand pounds in your lifetime. And that's, the, that's and then the NIS will have to help you if you're handicapped. That's true. So you can spend the two thousand pounds on me, and then I can earn and give it away. Yeah, that's that's the true. Point. Spending the two thousand pounds immediately is the bad decision. Spending that's the two thousand pounds on uh, enabling someone else to become an earner is economically the the correct decision. Mm-hmm. But then I guess. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I no. I get what you mean there with that. But still, ultimately, that's only because you're still finding a way to give. Like you're in that scenario, you're just still finding a way to give more money to these effective charities. Yeah. But uh, yeah, definitely. Again, now I really have to say that, that when I was reading Taoism, Taoism, they said <laughs> the most ideal, the ideal society is the society that doesn't need charity. I was going to say this. I uh, so I am. Sort of in principle, I dislike charity because I think it shouldn't exist. It shouldn't need to exist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you look at things like like Bill Gates when he's doing all his shit and giving away a bunch of money. People applaud and talk about it as if it's a good thing, mm-hmm. but in reality, it's like the symptom of a very very bad thing. Yeah, yeah. The exactly. fact that Bill Gates, number one, he he shouldn't have the amount of money that he does to mm-hmm. give away like this, and number two, he shouldn't like have this amount of power. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To to choose where the money so basically it becomes instead of society deciding where the the net positive is and deciding where to to allocate the money to have the best effect, it's Bill Gates, one human decides what is best. Mm-hmm. So in the Picasso versus baby analogy, you go baby. Uh it's pro yeah, pro baby because you can't uh so a Picasso was worth uh, how much? A few million, let's say. It would have to be worth a lot of millions. Uh, in order to be for the expected value to be higher than than the value of that human and all the humans that are going to come after that human. But I then, think. if you don't say the Picasso, then like there's a bunch. Then like the the inference from the example is that then there's a like, I don't know however many thousands of people are going to die because you don't then save them. So then and it's then all the all the economic benefit from all of them that you're then also mm, getting yeah, rid of. True, uh, but you also can't be sure that the So a half burnt Picasso from a historic fire could be worth more than a non burnt. Shut Picasso. up! <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true, though. Possibly. Yeah, possibly. True. Like Jimi Hendrix's burnt guitar is worth more than that same guitar would have been. Same as that. Um, who's that Bristolian graffiti artist? Banksy. Banksy. When yeah, it, Banksy. When uh, his uh, yeah, the shredded painting. The shredded one increased its value. Yeah, of course. Yes. So. Could say well, that this didn't go Picasso, at all as expected. I thought you guys would be very much on board with effective altruism. I, mean, I am in a way. You I heard feel like if you're not, it's like to certain, no, certain like, extent. By by definition, you have to be like exactly. That's why I'm so surprised you that you're not. For it. No, but we we are for it in the sense that if you have ten dollars and you have to give it to a charity, yeah, give it to yeah. the better one. Like that's a no yeah. brainer. Like yeah. no shit. Uh, but people are gonna. For some reason, they're going like someone likes animals. For example, they're rather going to give to an animal charity than to a human charity, and that's like 
that's logic you can't argue with through like effective altruism because their sort of equation of what a life is worth is different from yours. And I think that plays into so why are you a lot of these decisions. With me? We're not we're not necessarily arguing with you. We're just we're exploring the intricacies of this scenario mm, where man. the the it's a different point. The point of whether giving to a charity is the best use of your money or whether giving to individuals in very certain scenarios is worth it, right? But like, I feel like it, it is a no-brainer. Yeah, if you're going to give to charity, give to the good one. Like, sure. So talking about <laughs> people want to do good things. Yeah. Like this in... is going to be a total left field. But... <laughs> no, it's not left. no, no, no. It's, it's, it's within context. Okay. It's like this. I was reading, I was reading about this bridge in South Korea okay. that was known to be, it was known as the suicide bridge. Right. And so Samsung, the insurance company, decided they were going to save lives. An so insurance company. Yeah. So they changed okay. the name Samsung Life Insurance. Shout out. I hope they will become our, yeah. <laughs> Sponsor. <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, no, no. They were going to save life by making, calling it the Bridge of Life. Mm. And so they printed out these pictures and put everywhere, like with positive message. Mm. Like every one meter, there were a picture with positive message. Okay. And it actually happened that the year later, the suicides from jumping from the bridge increased by 600%. Fuck. <laughs> so it's like everyone wondering, why did that happen? There's a well-known, um, there's a well-known effect though, which has been demonstrated for eon, like a, a very, very long time. I remember it was a big thing in, in Hungary. Well, I don't remember. I know of the fact there was a big thing in Hungary. This was well before my time, uh, where suicide uh, sort of epidemics occur. And it's known mm -hmm. that if like that open discussion of suicide and like pub publicity around suicide leads to more suicides. Oh God, we're, mm. we're doing that now. I guess. So, uh, so this, <laughs> I feel like that's, that, that's the effect here that you're seeing on this bridge. Basically what the, what they did was they created a huge neon sign advertising yeah. suicide <laughs> and yeah, exactly. lo and behold, this is what they got. It, it's same as the school shootings, isn't it? Uh, do they probably. trigger the other ones? Do they? I mean, probably a lot of these sorts of high profile crimes have like copycat crimes and stuff. I think big global events also decrease the suicide rate overall, don't they? Because in sort of, I think after things like 9-11, there's sort of a, a sense of, of unity within countries, um, at least is the theory, correlation is not causation. Um, and then the, that causes a decrease in suicides. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I don't I know. my sort of theory on this would be that like, um, any sort of major major external force that creates like a like a plot line to life, if you know what I mean. Mm, like uh, yeah, yeah. Like those sorts of things are going to decrease the rates of suicide. So whether it be mm. something bad like that, anything that sort of like creates a meaningful and lasting plot within your life, mm -hmm. uh, that I would say sort of would be the general trend. Those things decrease it. Mm. But I also don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when's that ever stopped us before truth truth uh fuck charity no, i'm joking <laughs> charity. he did so this guy in the podcast that was doing it he's also um committed to giving away all of his money that he earns over a take home of twenty thousand pounds a year mm -hmm. um Damn. and also 
feels that so what the the number he used actually, which is something we've spoken about before, was if you earn a take home of above thirty thousand pounds a year, then you're in the one percent. Was the number he used? Mm-hmm. Um, and his basic suggestion is that if everyone in the top ten percent gives away ten percent of their salary, then that would fix a lot of shit. Uh, is what he thinks. And I, I can see that. I can see the logic. Yeah, I can see the logic, but you like I feel like you can narrow it down a bit harder. Like the top ten percent doesn't have to give away ten percent. Like you why not the top uh the top one percent gives away fifty like, percent extra yeah, fifty percent. So mm-hmm. I was reading about the the history of the federal income tax in the United States because that's if you want to read about anything, you basically can read about <laughs> the US good, and the UK. Bedtime reading. Right. Um if you have nothing else to do. You mean that? Yeah, no, but this is interesting because uh, people think about the effective tax rate as like, uh, they, they don't put it in a historical context. So here in Denmark, for example, the highest tax bracket is something like uh, 60, 70% or something like that. Is it? No uh, way. Yeah, and this, mm-hmm. yeah, you say no way. Uh, and this is the case for a, a number of countries and Sweden as well and stuff. And it was the case uh, in the United States for a long time. Yeah, I've read about this. And the golden age. Sort of briefly after after uh, World War One, it dropped. Uh, so before that, it was the highest tax bracket was above sixty percent, up to up to seventy seven percent, and then it dropped down to twenty five percent in the nineteen twenties, which were an insane time, leading to the fucking Great Depression mm-hmm. of nineteen twenty nine. Then after that, they hiked uh, the top top tax bracket again to sixty three percent, and then in World War Two, the top rate peaked at ninety four percent. No. Oh. Then the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, uh, it remained high, never dipped below 70%. And then the mm. 1980s, and Ronald motherfucking Reagan and these cunts came along. And then lo and behold, what do you have? A 28% top rate. Uh, mm-hmm. And this sort of has created, and then it sort of went up to, to around 39.6% or something. Uh, and now it's, it, for a lot of countries, it hovers around around 40%. This isn't necessary. That's that's the thing, in my opinion, that should be fixed. Just just raise the top tax bracket to like seventy percent. It's fine. Which you is not even close as it happens to the Danish one. I just looked up the Danish one, and the the max tax bracket is somewhere between fifty six and fifty two percent. Oh, is it? Yeah. I used to. Oh, I thought it used to be. This is. I'm operating on something that I vaguely remember from like ten years ago. So I was probably wrong. Sweden I, I, is high though, isn't it? I remember seeing this video like a few years ago. There was like some Nobel Prize winner in economics. Do they not give him that? Uh, yeah, they do. And he was like talking to some people in in a, a town meeting or something. And they were like sitting together and a lot of people listening. I do not really know who it is, but that he was saying <laughs> he believed there were some names, <laughs> but he believed that you you could have eighty percent income tax. Mm-hmm. He believed that, and everyone got mad. There, they're like, "What the hell is wrong with you?" It was like, "Are you?" Ta-? It was some bits businessman. He was like, mm-hmm. "Are you telling me you're that bad businessman that you cannot become rich even <laughs> with eighty percent income tax?" <laughs> he was, and it was like so much burn because they couldn't answer it. It was like, "Are you that bad and in bad investor that you cannot get rich?" But this is, I think, a lot of people misunderstand taxes as well. 
way more people than you would expect because I've had this conversation countless times with people where they think, mm. where they say like, oh, if I work an extra hour, then I'll end up getting paid less because I go into a different tax bracket. Yeah. <laughs> That's not how these things work. You will never no, no, no. earn less money for more work. Like when you jump up a tax bracket, all of your previous income remains in those previous tax brackets and only the yeah, more yeah. money goes into the higher one. Yeah, exactly. And people think that like, oh, 80% tax, that means my 20,000 pounds a year, you know, I'm only going to take home what, like 4,000 pounds? No, that's not how it works. You're still mm -hmm. going to take home the vast majority of it. It's like the fucking crazy rich people that are going to be paying or like the people mm -hmm. that are way like well, that are easily rich enough to afford it are going to pay the 80% off of their like extra money. Yeah, exactly. yeah. it's fun. I would. And uh, I think last time you were talking about how like if or the time before, how if if you were in the position to you would uh, find a way to pay less tax. But I don't think that's true because I have voted specifically for parties that want higher taxes on higher earners. Mm. And like, yeah. I want, I would pay more tax personally. I would choose to. Mm. I would want the tax bracket raised for my income level. Yeah. I don't know. The mm -hmm. cool, the cool thing with this guy though, where he was, which he said, which is a bit of a bold statement to make, but also true and kind of made me reflect on, on my own lifestyle was that if, everyone lived as he lives, then hmm. all the most serious problems in the world would be fixed. Which uh, is, If everyone gave away uh, no, all still, their income still, above 20, 30, If we expect, if we expect people to have to pay this charity, then clearly we're not at the right place. Yeah, exactly. Well, he's I guess not. Advocating for, he's advocating <sighs> for a higher tax bracket though. Yeah, yeah. But then, but then well, not even, because I guess... You know, you're if you give through. So we're all lucky with the countries we're born in, and if we only mm. give to through tax, then most of that money is going to go to it's going to go uh, domestically. Whereas if we choose where we put it internationally, then we can spread the wealth throughout the world much more readily. Mm -hmm. No, but countries like governments give give foreign aid. Like quite a lot yeah, of national budgets mm. are foreign aid. Like 1%, I think. No, it's higher, isn't it? Uh, percent of budget. Oh, yeah, something like 1%. And the, gov the, UK, the UK government's 0.7%, according to this. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, and that's even that's their target, so whether or not they even meet that, I don't know. Mm, that's of their gross national income. Yeah. Uh, so basically, Fair. if you choose to if you choose to give to charity, then you can spread the wealth more quickly than it would happen otherwise. And it is at least it's it's just it's a way of living that at least you know you're making a positive impact, and you know that the way you're living is sustainable and it's scalable as well. Mm. Whereas the way I like if everyone lived the way I live, that's not a scalable solution for the planet in terms of my consumption. No, and in, that's true. Whereas but I, the way he's is living is a scalable. That sustainable but way of living. This is a thing that's never going to happen. That's the th you need to look at it like that. Like you can't expect people to give to everyone to give huge amounts to charity because it's just not it's not a viable solution. Like taxation is a much more viable solution because people will pay their tax. But if you like if you're wanting to free market it and have people give from the goodness of their hearts and things, it's just not going to happen. You end up with like No, a but then I guess the by the time situation. by the time I die and by the time he dies, he will have made a net positive impact on the world and I will have even if I have made a net positive impact on the world he will be factors beyond me regardless so I don't think even your arguments of saying oh yeah but there are better ways to change the world and there should be like systemic change they're all right but irrespective of all that 
the way he is living is still good and is an example that people should be encouraged to follow because it would just make the world a better place. But but still, like there, you're putting the 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 responsibility to the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you're missing the like individual I, I, individual people instead of changing the system. But I agree with you. Like, yeah, I like ideally that's not what would happen. But irrespective of any of that, he's going to come to the end of his life having done a really damn good thing and having saved loads of lives. Yeah. Full stop. Like that's just yeah. a fact. Maybe, but these things. No, maybe, not yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. maybe. <laughs> yeah, not well, maybe, because yeah, if he, he gives to these charities that will call, like, that have evidence, strong evidence behind them, based on deworming and malaria and malnutrition, he has calculated that over his lifetime he'll probably end up giving about a million pounds to charity, and then you can roughly work out what impact he will make, and it is just massive. Not maybe. Okay, but isn't he just being selfish, really? Why? Because he's... So he, what he wants, basically, well, th- the argument that you're making is that you're trying to ba- make the biggest sort of individual splash that you can in order to come out to win the race to be the most uh, the giving and most helpful person, right? But it no, also, not to, no, no, but what not it does to win. Is, is that it... This sort of thinking, right? Sure, it is good to give to charity in in this sense, and it does help and all that. But can, uh, once you start uh, advocating for this sort of lifestyle of everyone giving to charity, you're validating this this reliance on charity, mm-hmm. which uh, I and I guess Quillian maybe like I, I think that this whole system of reliance on charity is a broken system and yeah, is, exactly is not the system that you want to live in. It's mm-hmm. it's uh, it gives more power to uh, private capital than there should be in a system like this, and it just yeah. means that that these these individuals are allowing are, are being allowed to decide where their money goes. Like this mm-hmm. guy, who is he? Sure, he's giving a lot of money, but who is he to to be saying where this money goes when when there's better ways to allocate it? If he wants to allocate it properly, then then let's find a, a better solution. Let's not try to prop uh, up the system where where it's individuals deciding where it's allocated. Like he's biased. Yeah. So we. So I think that sure he sure. is like on yeah. the one hand I think it's complicated. On the one hand, yeah, he is doing a great job and he is contributing to positive change in the world. But on the other hand, he might be contributing to the propagation of of bad things in the world. Mm-hmm. I I I'm stunned how this is going. I thought this was going to be a bish bash bosh. Yeah, boys, this is so good. There's strong evidence. This is he's got like good research, well backed. How can you disagree with it? Blah, 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 blah. And and whoa. <laughs> Why are you surprised? Because <laughs> I was like, this is like this, like, yeah, I'm coming at them. There's like strong. Oh, oh, oh. We just want our socialist utopia. Nice. <laughs> That's what we want. <laughs> uh, it's like this. I've been reading a lot about this, about recycling um, and uh, reduce, reuse, recycle mm. as as essentially just propaganda because the, the like the main polluters, there's it's just a handful of companies that are that do almost all of the polluting. And the there was that marketing campaign with like the the crying Native American or whatever, and there's been a huge push to to put the the onus on the public to mm-hmm. bear the brunt of uh, of environmentalism. Yeah, it is. On the one hand, it is good. You should you should use less of this stuff. You should think about your carbon footprint. You should do all these things. Absolutely, one hundred percent in agreement. But it like it shifts the spotlight from the real polluters which are these these 
companies like Coca-Cola should not be using plastic. Mm. They should like, sure, I should be re- recycling my plastic and buying less of it, but Coca-Cola should be using glass bottles or something else or aluminium cans. Dave Dustinborough was talking about this. He was yeah. talking about like this plastic. They say uh, t- tell you to use less plastic. You know, this uh, straw, sucking straw. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Every restaurant are like, oh, we're... We're, we don't offer them from plastic. Mm-hmm. They're only from paper here. And then they think they're done. <laughs> they're just yeah. like, oh yeah, now we're now we're uh, thinking about the nature environment. Yeah, there's the risk that you start resting on your laurels. Once you drink out of a paper straw, then you think you've saved the world. He said mm. this isn't the worst. He said the worst thing that he mentioned in that video was that, like these uh, deep sea fishing, mm. you know, where they yeah. put this thing into the ground in the ocean ground yeah, yeah and like swipe it up he said that was the worst thing you can do now that that should be stopped the focus should be more in fighting the that instead of plastic use. there is a there is a school of thought that says that there is no sustainable fishing yeah uh, where do you fall on that Monroe? do you eat fish <laughs> we uh <laughs> we have reached capacity for the earth mm-hmm. uh, what for humans or yeah. for Mm-mm. No, yes and no, right? I think we haven't reached capacity in terms of numbers, but we have in terms of, we've well, well exceeded capacity in terms of uh, exploitation mm-hmm. of natural resources. Absolutely. Mm. There's no debating it. Sad, sad, sad. Man, uh, it's got heavy, 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 heavy. Well, this is our heaviest episode to date, <laughs> boys. Did you have any ridiculous skills to to lighten the mood with? Yes, I do. Oh, Unless perfect. Gucci's got one. Have you got one, Guzion? Uh No. Watch no. me and Gideon find a way to shit all over your skill for Yeah, I know. Oh man. <laughs> Damn it. I'm ready. Oh. I'm ready. I'm ready. I was this is, this has been such an emotional journey, guys. Damn. Um so next time you want to cool off after having a heated debate with some chums, which Ooh. you weren't expecting. Mm-hmm. Um and you're like, all I've got is warm beer. And who who wants a warm beer? Oh, I'll just you know, I'll just cool it down in the freezer. But that takes ages, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just get a wet paper towel, wrap the wet paper towel around your beer, mm. and then put it in the freezer, and it will be cold in like 10, 15 minutes. Mm. Mm. Nice. I've I like that. Number. Much like effective altruism is an evidence-based... <laughs> <laughs> I have a... Skill have of the a week. Skill that sort of... Piggybacks off this, so I might as well say it now. Uh, if you are cooling your beverages, mm-hmm. <laughs> this works better for if you're cooling a lot of beverages. So if you're having a garden party, let's say, mm-hmm. and you want to have like a, a tub of like you know you have like a little ba- bathtub ish mm-hmm. type thing of, of beers out in the garden mm-hmm. or whatever ciders, mm-hmm. if you will, sparkling mm-hmm. water. Mm-hmm. Um, you put water and you put ice into the water mm-hmm. to cool it down, of course. Mm-hmm. But what mm-hmm. if that's not really cold enough, right? It, mm-hmm. it warms yeah. up quite quickly and stuff. What you can do is you can dump a bunch of salt into it, just table salt what? into the water because it lowers the melting point of water and it allows the water to be colder. Nice. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I knew this. Did you? Yeah. And also nice. the other one. I knew both of them. Whatever. Has anyone tried the barcode alarm yet or are we all adults and can get ourselves out of bed? Uh, I haven't really needed an alarm lately. So, yeah. <laughs> so no. I don't uh, need one either. Actually, that's not true. I moved here in the middle of the fucking night. Uh, no, I haven't yet, but maybe I will. Yeah, boys, do you have any? Uh, do you have any parting words after this 
Yes. It's a crazy podcast. Yes, yes. I have a good one. Good one this time. <laughs> it's by someone called Misty Copeland. Oh, Lord. Okay. I do not know who that is, but is it he or she? Probably she, right? It's a she. She, she said, anything is possible when you have the right people there to support you. Aww. It, it's you guys. It's you Aww. guys. But what, what do those people have to be? Yeah, yeah. It'd be kind. Exactly. They have to be kind. Mm. Monroe, do you have any parting words for us? If you don't hate charity like these two, then mm. uh, you can go into Give Well and uh, <laughs> give in, a, in an effective way um, and listen to an Intelligent Squared podcast, Effective Altruism, because that probably explains it better than I did. Uh, yeah. Or give money to Action to Shen. Or yeah, do that. Or do that. Uh, I mean, I... I'm going to go on record and say that I think that giving to charity is like for the everyman to give to charity. That's still a good use of their money. Mm-hmm. I'll endorse it. But I'm going to tell you to fight for systemic change, you know, do good. Also, email us at gmail.com. Send us more voicemails. They're good. They clearly spark discussion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fucking follow us on Yeah, Instagram. thanks, Ibu, for your... Well, what's his Voicemail. name now? Ibu? Ibu. Ibu. Oh, it's just cute and endearing. <laughs> uh, yeah, send us stuff. Uh, tell your friends about us. Mm. Go up to your friend and be like, yo, I listened to this great podcast. It's called Calling Monroe. Uh, do that. Tell, mm. some, tell a stranger on the train. Mm-hmm. Tell, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and keep on trucking. Goodbye, folks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you're feeling low. There's one thing Your heart start to glow Calling Monroe Calling Monroe Calling Monroe